Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 122, a chat with lads. Now, lads is loud Americans discussing soccer, and it's a podcast run by Kevin Pettit and Martin Frazier. I spoke with Kevin for a nice 90 minutes today, and we talked different things. We talked World Cup, Qatar 2022, talked about the meme game as well, the way memes and the way memes are part of football culture. That's what we started out with, so you definitely enjoy that. We moved on to the World Cup, talked about the United States and the expectations surrounding them, what fans can expect on the American side. Then we went into the off-pitch stuff in Qatar, or in Qatar, however you want to say it. Also some of the on-pitch things, and we ended with a talk about MLS restructuring their playoffs. Overall, this is a really great conversation. Enjoy. Zoom, there was the free version that initially everyone had, and you could do interviews as long as you, you could do calls as long as you wanted with the free version, as long as it was just um, one or two guests. And then now they, then a few months ago, I noticed they changed it where you have a 40 minute limit for free period. Yeah. That's why I, like, I was like, I, Oh, you have to upgrade to be able to do any call over an hour. And like the first time I figured that out, I was on a call with someone and it was like, you have 10 minutes left. I was like, what? We just, we nope, like, we just I had, got started. I, I had the same thing happen to me and I was so embarrassed and I was I like, know. Oh, I was like, Oh, like I, not that I like felt cheap. <laughs> I just didn't know. And I was like, Holy shit. I did not come prepared. It was like a really uh, nice guest. It was Andrea Pilar, who uh, was from the um, Full Kit Wankers podcast. And now she works for like CBS and stuff like that. She's really her. It's been so cool watching so many people like their rise in like the media industry and stuff like that. And I was like, Andrea, I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on. She was like, I mean, it's me like overreacting or whatever. But she was like, no, it's totally fine. But yeah, it was I had the same thing happen like mid interview. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Yeah, we only have 10 minutes. And then you can see in their eyes, they go up to the top left of the screen and they're like, oh, there's a timer le- left. And then you're, the first time it happened to me, I was talking to um, Dina Rahman. She's she was one of the people that started the Equal Pay Initiative. She's one of the, one of the women that did uh, oh. the Kilimanjaro game and the Dead Sea game. And like she mm-hmm. said, she did the world record for most penalties converted in 24 hour period, like 7000 or something like that. Yeah, so she's she's awesome. I had her on, and we were talking what about the women's <laughs> Yeah, she she's great. So she actually started basically started football women's football in Bahrain from the ground up. She got a job there, and just started literally just creating girls soccer in Bahrain like twenty years ago. It's, it's, she's she's rad. I get her on if you can. She's she's great. But like, I, I was I'd been working at trying to get her on for a long time, like almost a year. We'd kind of been like back and forth like well when there's you know i was like whatever you're you've got free time you're busy whatever and then we get on the call and we're 30 minutes in and all of a sudden it's like well you got 10 minutes and yeah so i was the same i was like oh my god this looks like i don't even like i, I won't even fork <laughs> out the whatever it is to right properly do this so you probably yeah. did all your research had your questions like super prepared yep. and then last minute this just springs springs up on you oh my god and then the, clearly my fault for probably not having read three or four of Zoom's emails that said that this payment plan changing coming. But I was obviously like, yeah, delete, delete. Every mm. time I get an email, I'm like, I don't need to read your newsletter. Yeah, I probably should have. <laughs> yeah, terms and services agreement, whatever. I who reads that? Right, exactly. Oh, changed the payment plan. Fine, I don't care. I'm not, I'm I'm using the free version. Doesn't matter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, th- that actually is cool. That's one of the things I guess 
I was, we're just going to talk. I was going to introduce like your podcast. You guys are lads, loud Americans discussing soccer. And your podcast is great. You've got good interviews with people. What you just explained is something interesting that in the last couple of years of doing this, you've also seen people that you've talked to and, you know, been in contact with actually rise up. Right. And I think a lot of mm. our fellow podcasters, we've seen people's shows grow. So what, how's your experience been like two years of doing a podcast ish, right? Somewhere around there. Um, no, the podcast has actually been around for quite some time. We started, uh, when was the Neymar transfer from Barcelona to PSG? I think that was like five, six years yeah, ago now. Okay, yeah. So you guys have been going so, for a yeah. while. Okay. Yeah. I mean, our consistency is bad. I will let everyone know off the get go. We used to be like twice a week on the grind, whatever. Um, it was me, my best friend, Martin. Uh, we went to college together, uh, moved to Philadelphia together afterwards, started the pod because we get drunk and our friends were like, that'd be so funny if you did a podcast. And then it turned into this thing. And now we do like memes and stuff like that, which we can talk about at some point. But um, yeah, been doing it for a while. We have 300 plus episodes now, which is wild. wild. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's been good in terms of seeing other people rise up. I mean, um, a couple examples would be like Andrea Pilar, who's at the Full Kink, Full Kit Wankers podcast. She has now working for like CBS Sports and stuff like that. Um, the uh, soccer sub podcast those guys are fucking awesome they're yeah. getting unbelievable interviews of some of the main players and not only the mls but in just the world soccer like it's been so nice to see and everyone is just so supportive in this community and just very i mean some people aren't they're you know whatever about them but um no I, I i've just been really really impressed and just people have really just put their you know um like foot on the gas when it comes to this uh uh, media. So it's, it's or like, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, I'm so bad with words. Why'd you have me on as a guest? <laughs> um, no, I just, I'm just, I'm just super proud of everybody and what they've been able to accomplish. I, I'm with you. And I, I think it's, it's really interesting because there's a lot of, I mean, 2020 was the year that the podcast explosion really happened. So you guys mm -hmm. were ahead of the curve. I, I joined in 2020, um, basically because I was watching in, uh, so many games and started to just get annoyed with, like, I basically was starting to talk to myself and rant and I was like, okay, this needs to go into a microphone or you're going to lose your mind. Right. So start there. And then just in the course of meeting different people. And like you mentioned, the soccer subs guys, like they, they started in 2020, they said they was right during the pandemic. Their first guest, I think was Christian Vieri. Unbelievable. Like so cool. And the way they've done it, they've, um, just expanded and grown and what you're seeing is that like because of this sort of community people are building and and the communications and and the support like you said we're actually seeing people actually have life growth not just oh yeah i record something a couple times a week but actually resonates to different parts of their lives and makes the community bigger so i i think that's awesome and one of the things you guys do really well is you guys publish a ton of memes yes um and they're really funny. And so how would you say that's been like, wh when did that really become a major part of uh, your guys's process? And like, where, where did you see this? Like, we've got to do memes. Um, well, I see the memes as a tool. Like the memes are again, like very funny. They're mostly taken from Twitter or from other like footballing Instagram accounts, mostly British based and stuff like that. And I'll get into the whole, like, Oh, stolen from, oh, taken, no credit. I, I have a whole uh, feel 
spiel on that whole uh, discourse that I get wrapped up onto. I will call people out. I, I have no problem beefing with Instagram soccer meme accounts. They're, it, that's a whole different discussion. But I use the memes and stuff as a tool, as one, to help grow the podcast. If people are being like, oh, like these guys – um, you know, American soccer, like, uh, still gets a bad rep. If you're an American trying to talk about the premier league, you know, you call it soccer. Oh my God. Like that's still like, and that's all they got really anymore. Like we're being serious. Like we have now become so well-versed in terms of like understanding not only soccer, but understanding, um, the culture and the players and XG and stats and everything like that, that we can hold our own and even be like well more versed than a lot of people give us credit for. Um, so I like to use the memes as almost like to not only expand like what I believe to be our actual original work, which is our podcast. And like we've been doing like uh, TikToks and reels now. And like we have our website where we publish blogs and stuff like that. So it's like like people will get mad at us saying like, you don't post anything original. The only thing that does well is the memes. I'm like, yeah, no, you're right. I have no problem <laughs> like admitting that. That's totally fine. But again, like what I love about the memes is, is the same things that memes can do for a lot of different things outside of sports they sway public opinion they create narratives like i know a lot of people are busy especially in america the games are not at the same times as people are able to watch or at work or whatever have things to do some people come to our page just to get halftime recaps or full game recaps yeah. and again like sometimes i get nervous like oh like did this what i posted these 10 different pieces from twitter whatever they could be like am i swaying public opinion and saying like oh this is what this is definite what happened that was a red card that should have counted as a goal stuff like that um i think memes are you know very important people are doing doctorates about them now they sway elections memes um are more than just you know ironic uh millennial gen z humor that are ultra ironic 10 layers deep and stuff like that they you know um are very very important to like the public zeitgeist yeah well, i mean a meme literally is this is not a new word. I mean, I think a lot of people think that a meme is like a GIF, like something that only is an internet age thing. But a meme is right. literally a representation of culture. I mean, it is it is mm -hmm. a symbol of some kind within the culture that can express different things. I mean, memes have existed as long as humans have, really, um, as, or as long as we've been communicating with each other in any cultural way. So that goes back, you know, tens of thousands of years. So. Yes. I, I, so it, it is cool to think about it just like this is part of the culture this is like memes have always been around to sway opinions i mean you know in a way a meme is no different than political propaganda or a cartoon from a newspaper like you know right that, i mean they've been so doing common no, I was going to say exactly like when they used to do like political ads and political cartoons back in the day where they had the giant like uh, candidate who has all the money and it's his belly <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're like, like, oh, they're for oil spilling and the oil's coming out of their mouths in the black and white old like yeah. 1920s New York Times cartoons and stuff like that. Yeah. And I believe that, you know, in soccer back can also um, not make a difference. That sounds crazy, but can also like sway like how people think about things positively and negatively. So when I post a lot of these memes um, and I'm an Arsenal fan, by the way, I post like anti Arsenal stuff and negative stuff. I try to tell everybody that I like and don't like all your teams. I try to be very consistent um, when a team is on a very long, like bad run of games. 
I'm probably going to post a lot of bad stuff about you for some time, like Man United for a while. Everyone's like, you hate Man United, you hate Man United. I'm like, no, I don't. Or Barcelona. They had a, you know, before like the Lenadowski, the like all the new transfers, and they've been on a great run of form in La Liga. I was memeing the hell out of Barcelona. It's not because I hate Barcelona. It's just because you are the hot meme of the week and you're just going to get it. You know what I mean? And I try and stay unbiased when it comes to stuff. If you want to know my personal biases, I have 300 hours of, you know, on my personal level, you can listen to me at the lads podcast, whatever, know how I personally feel when it comes to like the Instagram or social media and stuff. I try to be like, just even keel. But I think that's also part of it. I think most people just want to come up with what's, what's something funny, topical and mm-hmm. relatable. And that doesn't necessarily need to be your opinion. That just needs to be something that are those things. Do you think there's like a, I think there's a stylistic change coming into the memes because I, I, something I've been wondering for a while is how much of this also has to do with generational things, right? So you see, for instance, like just take for instance, the hotline bling, the Drake hotline bling video mm-hmm. created or birthed so many memes but at what point is Drake no longer as meme worthy because of younger people coming through and because maybe, you know, or because other different kinds of things become part of it? Do you think the, the stylistic cha- uh, look of the memes, the content, do you think that's kind of on a tipping point of changing pretty soon? Because I've, I've just wondered, I've been like, it feels like there's an evolution about to happen and I don't know where it's coming from. And I'm wondering, since you're, doing it a lot more seeing a lot of these tweets and things that people are producing do you do you see something changing yeah no I, th- that's a great question i think that um memes can be cyclical like things that we think are cool right now in a year from now will be totally cringe be very cringy and we'll yeah. be like oh i can't believe we thought that was cool and that's the same with fashion that's the same with movies pop culture whatever it is we thought the 80s were great movies a lot of those movies sucked and it was we just thought they're so good because of nostalgia's sake and stuff like that um for me i do feel as though in terms of memes uh i feel as though and so- this is really the soccer anyway i feel like everybody is trying to get the next take or be like what i i'm i'm clinically online so this is you, you got the best person for this Good. um i i am always on twitter like everyone wants to be funny on twitter some people are good at twitter some people are not like take elon musk bad at twitter that's why he bought it and he <laughs> wants he wants to be a you know a shit poster so bad and be very funny at twitter it's hard it's very hard to be funny at twitter um some people will take it to an extent where it goes too dark and too far and you know gen z is coming up and becoming their own content creators be it tiktok be it uh memes of their own and stuff like that i think it's going to be really interesting to see how like layered i think it's going to become more and more layered where it's going to be like something from an obscure television show one scene that's going to be like niche but only for a certain generation like elder millennials and like probably even like norm like i don't say normal millennials but like mid millennials like myself uh i think we're starting to become into that cringe range where like the office is no longer funny the Mm -hmm. uh like how for our generation like friends stopped being cool 
and like has just some things still stick though like Seinfeld still great like some things will still stick but like you said Drake hotline bling like there's already people very anti-Drake very you know Pusha T is the theme song to our podcast we're not the biggest Drake (laughs) you know we're not the biggest Drake fans here as well so um, I don't know if I answered your question fully, but like for me, like it's going to be very interesting to see how Gen Z, how more ironic, how more deep layered, how many different cuts of something before like we just circle back to like, um, you know, what's it called? Uh, what was the the classic like meme one? It was like the Willy Wonka guy being like, are you sure? Or the uh, the what's it called? The meme cat What was the cat like rude cat or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. Grumpy cat. Like yeah, we're going to revert. Cat. We're going to revert back to like the basic. I think it's all very, very cyclical. Yeah. Well, and, and the reason I ask is I am not on Twitter, uh, nor am I on Good. TikTok. Don't go, I, I'm no, not, don't go on there. <laughs> to, to me, to me, TikTok is uh, Chinese malware. I'm uh, I'm I'm really I don't know. I, I'm just I'm, I'm all for the app and the way, you know, people interact and everything and content that's made on. And I just worry about the, the other side of it. As for Twitter, you know. I, I, I've many times thought it'd be fun to make my campfire football Twitter account and be able mm-hmm. to get in the discourse there. But so frequently I would catch a vibe of what the discourse was. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is, this is the journalist circle jerk, right? Like this is where they all get to kind of massage each other because journalists really do they're blue checked, right? A lot of them are, that's where they're posting stories and that's where they're interacting with each other. And then you've sort of got the next layer, basically just the regular population, whether they're people who just have opinions or people who actually do some kind of content creation in this in the sphere. And what I found is that there's this strange part where it's like, it seems like if you are, if you're just, if you're a journalist, you really have clout. If you're not, you've kind of got to be a shit poster in some way because yeah. there's not really much of another avenue for you. Um, because you don't have that like, oh, I work for the athletic type of credibility behind you, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of why I'm like, well, this is where the memes get funny because they are outside of where the journalists operate. The journalists are not the ones creating memes. And and though and because they're not, they're trying to write, you know, articles and and go on talk shows and make podcasts where they're really trying to sh- say, here's what's happening in the game. Meanwhile, public opinion is being swayed by a jokester in his bedroom mm-hmm. more than their articles, more than their work. And so I, I, th- I think that's an important layer to have in Twitter because I'm, I don't, I don't spend any time there. I, I do think it's interesting to hear from someone who's like, yeah, I'm deep in it. I like seeing it. Oh and yeah. I am judging the culture a little bit, just getting an understanding of where it goes. Yeah. You know, I follow a lot of the journalists we might be referring to <laughs> on, on there. And I think they do excellent work. They do the stuff that, uh, some of the groundbreaking insight that some of them are able to uncover um, is phenomenal. Do I feel as though sometimes that a lot of stuff goes over their head and they don't really have uh, a semblance of what is the public pulse? Absolutely. Yeah. Like compared to people who are more on the ground, talking to real fans, talking to real people, like there, there can be seem as though there is like a bit of an elitism. And that's, I think that's totally fair. Cause I feel as though they haven't helped their case whatsoever to make us feel comfortable and make them feel approachable. So um, I've gotten into spats with some of these journalists on Twitter. Cause I'm like, come on, like, let's be fucking real. Like, can I curse on here? I haven't asked. Absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I just, um, 
No, free speech, uh, bro. <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I um, do feel as though like a meme can cut deeper, which is sad than, you know, some people's excellent work that they worked months on and stuff like that. Um, but I feel as though what gets to a broader audience, like for us, like when we post memes and stuff like that, uh, is faster than some people like reading a few page article. They can just see our memes and be like, okay, that's my recap. I don't need to go to ESPN, get a full breakdown. If you want more excellent work and more in-depth stuff, that is an option to you. And I feel like that should always be an option. Or if you want to go to YouTube, that's why like, um, a, a recent study came out that Gen Z has stopped using Google, really. They use TikTok more than they use Google in yep. some aspects because they can just, if they need to find an answer, TikTok will most likely have that answer for them. So, um, yeah, it's, it is very funny. It's uh, a lot of people who have like their team players, like profile picture on Twitter will get more of a reaction than like a hardcore athletic ESPN sports center or sports illustrated like writer. And, um, is that good? Is that bad? Like, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Well, I've, I I've kind of come around to the point where you just have to accept that everyone's got a different way of consuming the game, right? Cause mm -hmm. there's people who like, there are people who consume the game who they just follow their own team, whether that's a lower league team uh, then there's all the all the different niches that there are, right? I mean, I, I've found some people who, like, I found these guys protagonist soccer. They they really do focus on basically lower league football in the United States, you know, USL, oh. USL League One, and then you know other small clubs around. And I mean, kudos to them for doing that because not very many people will mm -hmm. actually cover that. But also they find I'm sure a lot of comfort in working on something that they can see for themselves and that they can, you know, produce the narratives and stories that they want to. Whereas if you're going to talk about champions league, you're weighing in with the whole world and, right. and 90% of people don't care what you think. Cause they only, they just care about what they saw and then they'll watch their review show or the, the social media that they consume. You know, I'm a person that doesn't really like watching games in bars with a lot of people. I'm a coach. I have a very, very sort of sterile way of watching professional soccer in a way. I just don't get ramped up like at all. <laughs> you know, I don't get upset at referee decisions. I don't like berate players go, for making You're like mistake. the most understandable I'm, man. You're like, no, that yeah, makes like, that's a fair. I'm like, well, that's why that happened, right? It's mm. to completely cause and effect stuff as a coach. So, you, you know, which makes it fun for me. I can watch any game and not get too emotionally invested. Um because that's just the way I work with it. But there's some people who they have to be just wound up and, you know, that's part of the passion for them. So, and then there's people who will only watch highlights. They'll never watch a 90 minute game, right? There's people who will read tons of articles and they consume the information that way, or people who just want to see memes and make memes. So right. in reality, all of us are necessary. That's kind of the way I look at it. We're, we're, if any of these groups go away, the football and community just gets smaller. So let's just keep everybody. You know. Right. And, and, you know, like, I feel as though if you want to criticize people uh, for that because they open themselves up to the different medias that they consume, that's also very fair. Like uh, me talking about like League Un, the Uber Eats League on my podcast, I do not watch regularly. Do I call it a farmer's league on my podcast? Yes. Do I have League Un people who follow religiously say like, you don't watch the league enough. You can't call that that. I'd be like, that's totally fair. Like, I, I'm not saying like, I'm not invalidating your criticism of myself. I allow myself to be open to that. I just feel as though 
Um, it, that league does not interest me as much. And what, from I can tell what I've read and stuff like that, you know, some people want you to be a ride or die every day. You have to watch every single, if you cannot give a single opinion about anything, unless you know who the youth Academy is, you watch the youth Academy, you watch the league, you watch every single bit of film. And I just think that's an impossibility and just unfair. Like there, there is criticism that can be made, but th to those people who say like, you can't say anything about it's like, no, like we're at a point where we have so much access to media that like we're allowed to make these opinions. Yeah. Well, so, so my mom's French, she's from Lille, um, in Northern France. My dad's mm. from England. So, um, but so Lille are the, the team that I support in France. Um, they won the league a couple of years ago, which was awesome. I really like the The only problem with it is, and I think the quality is excellent. I think the football is really good. I actually think, and this is where I think the premier league has left every other league behind production value, the premier league. And, and I know this is going to sound weird, the Premier League does the best with sound uh, production, like the way mics are set up, the way they capture the crowd sound. Also, in uh, in a lot of the other European leagues, the crowds, the way they sing, they sort of sing like long songs that go throughout long passages of play. Whereas I think in England, a lot of the stuff is shorter in terms of time span and more reactive in terms of what's going on on the field. Like. Mm. If like a player makes stuff, a yeah. good tackle or something, the whole crowd reacts to that moment. Whereas if you watch the French league, Italian league as well, even the Spanish league, a lot of the German league, definitely the, the crowd will be just bouncing and going. Um, but it's not reactive to very small moments. So when you're listening to it, it just sounds like there's a big drone and like drumming and like, it's just mm. rolling in the background. And in a weird way, I, I've found that that's one thing that makes the Premier League like that little bit spicier to look at is you just get the, the sound qualities. And there's a lot of things that they do in terms of production, how they mic things up, when they fade different things to try and get uh, specific sounds out. The Premier League does that better than any other league in the world. And I think that that's a big reason why some of the other leagues, people struggle to just like watch a game because you do have to just sink into it. And I think mm -hmm. the French League is awesome in terms of quality of football. But you do have to spend five to 10 minutes at the beginning of game, sink in, don't change to other things, don't like look at your phone, like watch it. And then be locked in, yeah. And then and then you're in and you're just watching a good quality game, but it doesn't have that same pop. grabbing pop that the Premier League has. And I, I personally think a lot of that's just down to camera work and and whoever runs the soundboards. Cause yeah, that's where so anyway. Um let's move on to another topic here. Cause uh the World Cup is coming, and though the Champions League is still like going hard, there's games twice a week. No one's got the time to talk about the World Cup at the moment. So, um, I, I just figured, why, why why don't we dive into this a little bit? Uh, and first, let's start because because we're both stateside, we're we're both United States. Um, what do you think fans of the U.S. men's national team should expect going into this World Cup? I've heard a lot of things, and I have my opinions, but I, I want to um... hear from someone. Well, um, if you listen to the show, um, I try to be more generous to the U.S. men's national team than my host. My host does not. <laughs> Martin, he's a big England guy. He, he's grown up watching. He's a huge Manchester United fan. Grew up watching the English national team his whole life because of Beckham, uh, you know, Neville, uh, Giggsy, all the the, uh, the golden generation, whatever. 
Um, I try to have been more generous. Um, they haven't exactly been kind to me in return, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but there's a lot to look forward to. We have a lot of incredible young talent on this squad, kind of our golden generation at the moment, uh, with Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, uh, Brendan Aronson is coming up, obviously doing phenomenal at Leeds, uh, Yasu Mensa. Yeah, Rena, uh, Gio Rena, uh, Mensa, who I'm so excited for this World Cup. Um, to say we will qualify through the group stages, I think is a fair statement. I think we will. I think we will qualify. I think it'll be England one, us two, and then uh, Wales Iran uh, afterwards. Um, do I think it's going to be the most lovely soccer to watch? No. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I am not confident in Greg the Egg. I've not been the most Greg Berhalter uh forward. I've been more I've been more confident in the players overcoming Greg sometimes. Cause when Greg came in, he wanted to implement a system and like really try to like turn this into, you know, into a, a club, into a club system. Just instead of a national team. And I don't think he really understood the nuances and the differences that you don't have as much time to build that culture where it feels as though what what it let me ask you, what is the US men's national team culture? Because I sure as hell don't have an answer. We started off as this high possession, uh, try and break you down kind of team. Now we're a high press kind of team. We lack a striker, which is probably our biggest weakness. Uh, a quality one anyway. I'm not trying to, you know, talk shit about my favorite ginger, Josh Sargent, as a fellow ginger, <laughs> but um a massive liability as striker and that's that's the truth and also lack of a second confident center back so um but i, I return to you like what are your thoughts because i feel as though like culturally i feel like we're in such a weird influx this whole squad has no world cup experience really that much international competition experience so they haven't really played too much also because of a lot of injuries this is a very injury prone squad i mean I don't know. So I just rambled there for a bit, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I, th I think what you asked is probably the best question that not enough U.S. fans ask. So uh, like I said, my my mom's from France. My dad's from England. Those are my those are my two primary teams. I'm down with the U.S. doing well, but most of the reason why I don't really root for the U.S. going into World Cups is because. A, there tends to be a false sense of superiority, which makes me just laugh a lot. I mean, just recently I was listening to, before I get into that, the biggest, what you mentioned was culture, what's the U.S. soccer culture? No national team wins the World Cup or does well, even if they're small teams that, that go a long way. None of them do well if they don't have a proper identity as a team. And the vast majority of the time, probably almost always, that identity of the team reflects the culture of the country like it, it, it the, the, france, the france team that won the world cup was based on that that flair and talent but also a certain level of like there was this deep idea of brotherhood that needed to be there because it's a lot of talented players but they need to feel like brothers and a lot of them are like from paris they're from the streets like they 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 fought together and that's how France won the world cup in 2018. Were they the best team there? I'm not really sure. I don't think so. I mean, they had to overcome Argentina in a crazy game. They beat Uruguay who just couldn't quite have mm. the same impact in a game. Uh, you know, the final was mental beating Croatia four two. So, um, and, and, and France were very underwhelming in the group stage. Right. But I think that the way they stuck together got them there. 
uh, when I look at a lot of teams, like when you look at when the World Cup was in South Africa, every African team, like when they scored a goal, it was full on dancing together. You, you basically watch teams and you're like, that feels like like that feels like a great representation of the country. Mm-hmm. Think about the U.S. national team. We're we've got this like we love underdogs. We love winners. We also know where we are an underdog. So why are we talking like we're winners when we're mm. still underdogs, you know? And I think a lot of people, for instance, I, I was listening to a, one of the uh, athletic podcasts, uh, the total soccer show, and they had this fan question. Someone wrote in and said, Hey, if you could switch the U S with any group, like with any team in any group, who would you switch them with? Uh, one of the guys was like, I'd switch them with Argentina because in their group is Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Right. And he said, Saudi Arabia, we should be able to beat them. Mexico, I mean, Mexico's a known quantity. They've beaten Mexico multiple times. That The Mexico game is almost one of the safest ones you can have at the World Cup because it's the opponent you know the best, right? Mm-hmm. And then they get to Poland, and he's like, Poland, they don't scare me. I mean, they have Robert Lewandowski who scares me, but I, they didn't really do well in the Euros. You know, they're not really a team that really gets me excited. I'm like, this is a team that pretty consistently qualifies for Euros and World Cups. Okay, out of Europe. Um, Who still has like the best striker in the world. The best striker in the world. But then here's the thing is that I think a lot of American people go, well, that's their their big guy. Yeah, but here's the thing. Their entire starting lineup plays either Champions League or Europa League football and are in top five leagues. So you can't look at them and go, we're just as good as them. We're we're trying to debate about Josh Sargent, Jesus Ferreira, or... Oh, Pofak? Yeah, or Jordan Peefock to play Peefock, up front yeah. at the World Cup. That's the debate we're having. We're 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 looking at Aaron Long playing center back when Tim Ream is playing weekly for Fulham and they're in the top half of the Premier League. So what I would say for American fans is just like chill out, enjoy the World Cup, as opposed to going in with an idea that you're gonna get somewhere. Keep in mind, Iran were two minutes away. We're they two minutes from the end of the game against Portugal in 2018, had Mehdi scored his chance, Portugal would have been out, Iran would have been through to the next round. And how many people would be talking about Iran as cannon fodder if that single thing had happened? I just read right. Mehdi Taremi has scored like 40 goals since then in like, in like his different <laughs> leagues. He's crushing it. And the funny thing too is I was at the last time the United States played Iran in a World Cup. It was 1998 in France. I was at the game. We lost 2-1. So the last time we played them in a World Cup, we lost. I don't know how we can go in and be like, they're finished bottom of the group. That's an easy one. Like, right. <laughs> it, to me, those are the things and the expectations. I just want people to stop worrying about the results and the style of play and actually be like, who are we as a team? And then let's just go in and do the best we can because that is what the U.S. mindset is. We don't care who we're playing. We're just going to go and do the best we can and and work and grift and see if we can make something amazing happen. That that literally is the American dream, right? <laughs> no, no, I I know I think you make a really good point and I think a lot of people have pointed out that this is kind of like where we kind of find our identity like you're saying, build the culture, get that world cup experience and look forward to 2026. Be humbled that we are there. Uh we do not want the Trinidad and Tobago situation to ever ever happen once again. Um and to really build, uh, you know, 
some real camaraderie between these young players who by the time we reach 2026 will be really hitting their prime. This is a very young and exciting generation of American soccer players. And we already have so many other players coming up as well who are even younger. Like I think Mensa to me will be the breakout star for our team. I know everyone goes to Pulisic or Tyler Adams or Gio Reyna, whatever, but I really love you Mensa. I think he's so, so talented. You've even seen him in the most recent games, how much he's pulled it off, you know? So yep. we'll see. I, I, I really, really think you're absolutely right that we should just be like, Hey, let's go in there. Let's grind. Let's work hard. Let's not go there with like our heads as big as these Twitter verified people that we were talking about earlier. And, <laughs> you know, just be just be happy that we're here and trying to enjoy the World Cup as 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 much as you can based on the circumstances of this World Cup, which I know we'll get to. That's a little, you know, preview of some of the questions you've sent me over. But, yeah, it's going to be a rough watch and I'm still going to enjoy it. Well, we're going to get to that next. I just the one thing I also wanted to say when you were talking about Greg Berhalter is. I get the feeling like the United States, like Greg Berhalter did something very similar to what Gareth Southgate did. Phase out a lot of the like sort of older, more established players that are there, but you know, do you really need to have them in the team? Like, or could you invest in the future a little bit more? Right. Like, mm. you know, letting guys like James Milner and Fabian Delph and guys like that just kind of go and like finish your club career we need to start getting guys like Declan Rice in the team, like Calvin mm-hmm. Phillips in the team. Saka, yeah. You know, and and I think a lot of those decisions that he's made have been very good because he Southgate reinvigorated the idea of like a young, exciting English team. And I think Ber- Berhalter has done exactly the same. The only problem is he doesn't have the same quality of players. Mm-hmm. So what we've seen a few times, one stat that I heard that was really interesting, I don't know if this is 100% true, but apparently when the U.S., has less of the ball they have better results so we are not a high possession team we are not like that is not the identity of u.s soccer i coach high school ball around here tell you what we have good direct players we're not highly technical it's just not the game that we're good at it's not how we're better Mm -hmm. than other teams and so i think it's about harnessing that i like that greg berhalter has altered a little bit the, the cultural side of it i think he's also a little too picky about the style of play to be honest like get a good shape work together win your duels do the best you can that's kind of the way i see it but yeah i kind of just 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 one more thought i kind of look at international managers where there's obviously tactics i mean some of the best managers ever were you know uh at the international level um i do think though when it comes compared to the club level it's kind of having a good vibe are you a good hang do your players respect you? Do you understand your players and how well they play? Trying to force your players into a system instead of using what's the best part of them when you don't have that much time to you know, put in your system, you have to be humbled as a coach as well and understand like, okay, I understand, you know, what's the best aspects or traits of my players and, you know, try to get the best out of them instead of trying to force something onto them with not enough time. You know, I I compare it to like NBA coaches. Sometimes NBA coaches um, are more of just a vibe. They hang out and they get the best out of their players. And usually the players with the player empowerment movement kind of handle it. But, you know, some like Ume Adoka, Ume Adoka at the Celtics, you know, was able to really be strong. I don't mean to get into basketball conversation, but no, he was able to re- go for it. 
he was able to really get the best out of Marcus Smart and like really get these players who weren't really reacting to the previous coach and like um, other NBA coaches such as uh, I'm trying to think um, like many of like LeBron's coaches hasn't exactly been like, uh, you know, the most tactical, but been able to get this room full of the most talented players in the world to work together. You know, I think like Phil Jackson is a great example of that too. You know, he had like the Steve triangle. Kerr. Steve, Steve Kerr. Yes. Thank you. Steve Kerr, a great way of getting like Draymond green, like under control and like harnessing the most out of Steph Curry and clay and all these other players. So um, yeah, that's just my little bit. I always look at NBA players and international managers kind of like they have the tactics, but it's more of like getting the best and kind of creating this great overall camaraderie like Deschamps did with France. Yep. Yep. Well, and I, I think I'd argue that almost every international manager that won something were probably considered a Muppet before the tournament started. Image right. give French 98. They all thought he was terrible. They thought the team was terrible. They won the world cup. I remember in, um, it was the same thing with Scolari in, uh, 2002 with Brazil, uh, before the world cup, um, in 2018, I think a lot of people were like, okay, Southgate. Yeah. It's, it's fun, but like this team's not good. And then everyone was like, oh, this team's great. You know? So, right. <clears throat> Yeah, and like Zlatko Dalic, the coach of Croatia, who was just like brought in, you know, he's a much lower league kind of guy. I hadn't really done much at this level. And he was just brought in to kind of stabilize the ship. And he's still the coach after all this time. They've done, you know, impressive the way it, you have a point. International coaches is not necessarily so much about tactics. Is do you make coming to work fun? Do you, do you create a good camaraderie? Do the guys back you? Culture, and, yeah. Yeah, the culture. So speaking of culture... Uh, Qatar's culture is slightly different than a lot of the rest of the world. Of course. Sorry, what a what a transition. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, so one thing that I like about this World Cup is going to be it's the first one being played in the Arab world, and I've always I, I've been since the World Cup was announced there. I obviously was like, okay, this was the bribery World Cup. This is not the Arab country that should be hosting it. it should be. Should be Egypt, should be Morocco, should be Iran, should be, you know what I mean? A, a, a proper size country that has a footballing tradition is what you would like to see, right? Safety reasons, money reasons, it ends up here in Qatar. And I think it's going to be, I think a lot of people from the Arab world are going to love the fact that it's there because it's a, it's their culture. They're not going to have to go and deal with as many, say, drunk belligerent english and australians who are just pouring through the streets because right. that's not the culture there that, 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 that doesn't happen so i've i've thought this is going to be a great world cup for the people who are from there and the people who are coming from outside are going to be going through some serious culture shock um i really hope it does not turn into fire festival too because uh what we have seen in terms of some of the some of the videos and pictures i've seen of the Sort accommodations of, yeah, yeah the accommodations they're building i'm like oh that looks that looks reminiscent of fire fest yeah, yes. really. <laughs> so look I, it's a it's a massive thing people are talking about it uh there's protests that are going on uh and and that will certainly go on i would not be surprised if we see a lot of protests just happen uh gianni infantino said focus on the football so i know this is a this is a tough thing it's nuanced and there's so many gray areas but how do you feel about this whole thing you said just in terms of the world cup being there what it's going to be like just go through some of your feelings about it um yeah it is a bit complicated i feel like people have been doing a lot of mental gymnastics about this world cup and in order to one 
enjoy the beautiful game and two, try to be highly critical of the are we are we going to Qatar or Qatar? Does it matter? Do you uh, cut? yeah Qatar, anyway? Qatar. I mean, you know, I say France, but it really is France if I'm French. France, so I mean, whatever, yeah. right? The Dutch, the Deutschland. Yeah, either one will uh, work. Um, let's say this: we draw the line at Qatar. If you go and add a U <laughs> after the Q, you, you, yeah, you need you need to, but like we'll, we'll take either. Yeah, I mean, it is all fine and dandy to say, let's focus on the football. That would be nice. That would obviously be nice. But obviously, when you look deeper into it, you can't. If you did, you'd be complicit in some of the horrible atrocities that are occurring in this whole World Cup regime. Uh, I remember when John Oliver, who I think is the best late night show host when it comes to anything in terms of research, news stories and doing absolutely the best type of like late night comedy show hosting uh did a great breakdown of Qatar great breakdown of the Brazil 2014 World Cup going back yep. now eight years um talking about you know all the different types of indentured servitude slave labor that have gone into creating these stadiums and the fact that it can get up to 125 degrees Fahrenheit and why we're having it during this time period that's I'm still getting questions from like my parents and grandparents be like isn't the world cup during the summer I'm like yes it is it usually is but there's this whole thing the FIFA you know set bladder I had to do the whole spiel um and then you have all the anti like LGBT things you have the drinking culture it's it's not just one thing. That's what I'm trying to point out. It's like, you can say you can focus on the football if it was just one thing. It's a list. It is a laundry list of issues with this World Cup. So my overall thoughts are very mixed. But as a, someone who is th the biggest fan of this sport, I love this sport so much. It would be, I would be hard done, not to, a, a disservice to myself and everyone else who's probably listening to not try to enjoy this and support their nation or a nation that they, you know, support as well. Like I love the U S men's national team. I also like England. I like, there's a bunch of these different nations that I have a, a kingly to. I love Wales. I studied abroad in Wales and Swansea for six oh, nice. months. Nice. I lived there. So it's tough for me them being in our group. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but yes, I do think it is very complicated. This whole situation saying to focus on football is, uh, a pretty dumb thing to say when it comes to the, that's, that's, that's all I'll say is I think that's a very stupid thing to say. I would say, do your best to enjoy, but please understand that this is um, not as simple. Well, I think that was a, I think when he said that, that was a, a warning and B a little bit mm -hmm. of a, um, Oh, you took it as a warning as well. Oh, okay. I, I, I think Infantino said that partially as a warning. And, and I don't mean this as like a, something horrible, but I think it's like, hey, this is the World Cup. Like you're going to have viewers from all over the world and different cultures and different people do not come in here and just use this as a protest zone. Mm -hmm. By the way, I'm cool with that. I don't think the World Cup should be used as a protest zone. Because if people had a real problem with this World Cup being awarded to Qatar, there should have been a way bigger uproar back in 2010 when it was, or 2009 when it was actually awarded to them. There was just not enough. At the time, I remember when the World Cup draw came out. I worked at Whole Foods in Baltimore. I went into work that day, and there was a, three Moroccan guys who were uh, on the produce team with me, and we were talking about it. We're like, "Wow, Qatar got it! Wow, Qatar is going to host the World Cup!" And they were like, "That makes no sense." And I think they were upset because Morocco had made a bid and also uh, the United States had made a bid. And they were like, either of those two are great with us. And then it was, what? what? So the whole room knew, went quiet, yes. And everyone yeah. knew right away, oh, well, that's 
clearly the bribes. Everyone knows this. And it wasn't until the World Cup in 2018 ended that everyone goes, okay, now we got to talk about human rights issues in Qatar. I'm like, okay, yeah, I went to Russia for the World Cup. It was awesome. It was a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Nobody, nobody tried to tell Russia what they should be doing different. Nobody. Mm-hmm. I saw the respect for the rule of law in Russia that people gave was astonishing. I mean, I saw these Croatian dudes juggling a ball in like a pedestrian street about maybe a little too close to a storefront with glass windows or whatever. And two cops just looked over at them, pointed, and just did a little mini finger wag. These Croatian fans picked up the ball and said, we're sorry, sorry. <laughs> Locked so, up like, real quick. Yeah. No one wanted to do anything in Russia that would get them in trouble. Okay. Um, did is there would there be reasons to for the international community to say, hey, look, there's a lot of things that Russia does that you know we should talk about here. Mm-hmm. No one said a word, but Qatar's not a country that can really defend itself the same way. And that's where I think that there's been something really bizarre here. Because the World Cup's going to be hosted in the United States. And, you know, I mean, good. We're, we're not currently in some war somewhere. But let's just say the next president in 2024, in whoever it is, decides to invade a country somewhere. Are we going to lose mm-hmm. the World Cup? Is that even going to be a conversation? And, no, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, no, no, I, I, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there as like, this has been a really interesting thing. Like you said, mental gymnastics, that's exactly what people are going through right now. And it's, I just find it fascinating that there's, we, we really do have to confront so many different topics here. How do we do it in the most healthy way? I think that's going to be fascinating. Right. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Qatar shouldn't have it. They have it for different reasons because of bribery and corrupt FIFA officials. If, uh, I am not going to sit here and say like the United States is the angel at the top of the UN. I am going to tell you that if you're a person from the Middle East listening to this podcast, you're probably like, hey, I don't want to tell you what your country <laughs> did to mine or yeah. what they've done to South America or wherever it might be. Trust me, I am very fully aware and I am very highly critical of my own country. That's when I, when I criticize others, I won't let them know they're like, oh no, like, oh, you can't say that you're from the US. I'm like, no, I know. I also criticize them. Like I fully am aware and self-aware of the atrocities that this country has also committed. What I'm trying to say is that we can't ignore, we can't just say like, Hey, you know, that is people's cultures, whatever like that. And I'm totally fully aware of people's cultures and try and be respectful as possible. But when they're affecting uh, people, especially people who are uh, like minorities, people who are, um, have been disenfranchised and stuff like that, especially like people in the LGBT community, um then i'm like okay well that's not okay (laughs) like that's not that's not something i'm just going to be like yo no that's just their culture you know that's just they just do it a little different there because i do the same thing if it's like a hyper uh like a west baptist church person who's saying that like about gay people or something like that i'm not gonna be like well you know they're entitled to their opinion that's totally fine they can protest at a a a military funeral all they want that's their right and i'd be like i (laughs) i i don't like that no i'm not a fan i'll tell you yeah, and and I I totally totally understand that, and, and I I think that there's I think the cool thing about this World Cup going there is that it is going to just put things like it's it, it is going to put a lot of things front and center, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, Westerners who go there who want to uh, experience it the same way they would at home, 
might have to realize things just work slightly differently here. Like for instance, the drinking is a really interesting one to me because Mm -hmm. I I actually think like I'm more than happy for people to drink with football. I beer and football go together. Great. But, um, might be interesting to sit in a stadium and not be worried about getting beer showers every time there's a goal, right? Like right. Might be interesting yeah, to walk the streets and not see people urinating on sidewalks and passed out and or being hyper aggressive and like yeah, starting like, fights. So, yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how a massive reduction in alcohol consumption, like what does that do to just the general tenor of the world cup? What does that do in the, in the crowds? I think that's a fascinating thing that we just haven't really seen in, mm-hmm. in, you know, in the, in the modern day we've, you know, Brazil was forced to start selling beer in their stadiums by FIFA for the World Cup. Like yeah, that was Budweiser. Yeah. And then yeah. I went to the Women's World Cup in France and they sold only non-alcoholic beers in the stadiums. That was interesting. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought like when I was in England, it was so fascinating. You weren't allowed to drink in the stands. That was so fascinating to me. Yep. I went, what? And they're like, no, during halftime, we all run out. We all try and drink as much as we can. And then we run back. And I'm like. Oh, this is kind of like uh like a this is a bit, right? This is just like a black and white, like da, 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 like you know, like <laughs> no, 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 you really you really do that. Okay. Um, but no, like the drinking part, like I've heard I've had a lot of friends, maybe some who are probably alcoholics, be like, this is bullshit. Like, I can't believe they're not letting them drink. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, I think that's probably for a public safety thing. You have all these different people from different cultures and stuff like that. I'm not as much critical of the drinking, and my thing is like probably annoying and like kind of, you know, uh maybe a frustration for some people. Sure. I'm not going to, you know, uh, discredit your feelings about that or say it's not valid, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it's like the big, and also you're probably saving money. You're already traveling all the way to this world cup. You're, you know, maybe save some money on some drinks and like, enjoy, don't you want to remember the game? That's like the thing. Four the- games a day. If you're drinking, you're not going to remember shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe you want to save it for like maybe the last game. It's not the most like crazy like fixture or whatever. But at the same time, like probably is like knowing all the different teams here and the, the caliber of players. Like if I'm still seeing Poland, I'm like, oh, I'm still seeing Lenadowski. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like I'm, I'm the, the drinking stuff. I'm and even though we're lads and we drink on our podcast, we've kind of like branded that for us. Like, you know, I'm I'm honestly like it's probably hypocritical of me because of like how much I drink and how much I talk on the show doing it. Like not that I'm not that, you know, not that mad about it. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people forget, like if you've never been to a Muslim country before, you you may not realize this, but like I I, I spent three weeks in Senegal my senior year of college um, sort of in January doing a little foreign study abroad thing. And I mean, there are no liquor stores. The only places you can buy booze are hotels and sp- certain restaurants. Um, it was, uh, it's, it's the same in a lot of Muslim countries that is it. you can hotels, hotel bars will have, will have alcohol. It is insanely expensive. Right. And, and then bought certain like, clubs restaurants and bars will serve alcohol but other than that you can't just get it and what and you certainly cannot drink in public at all Mm -hmm. right this is pretty common across the muslim world you know worldwide Mm -hmm. if you're gonna have a world cup in a muslim country that's probably something you're gonna have to deal with right Uh, the other thing that that people have talked about is the public displays of affection which i thought was interesting because i'm like again it's not just that they're not this is not just about gay people right right a right. man and a woman are not supposed to like make out in a muslim country like that is not done you don't see it you don't have those pictures of two parisian teenagers just making out into the eiffel tower and everyone <laughs> yeah that does not exist in those countries and i think 
a lot of people are just forgetting it's like this is one of the more tolerant muslim countries as well in a lot of the because mm. what they are trying to do is bring in business like the, the entire middle east all these all these countries with a ton of oil money they know that the oil money is not going to be there forever they know they have to modernize plan for the future and so they're building these big cities and they're building those like the palm all the stuff that's going on in dubai and i think it's just we have to kind of remember this is a, a part of the world that is changing so so fast and probably the coolest thing for them to get is the world cup because you get an influx of all these different cultures and i've just felt nothing is better for bringing people together than getting uh, you know than than a, a I mean, really, the World Cup just does it better than anything else. Um, and I, I've I saw, I've seen it every time I've gone and seen games in countries. People are always like, oh, the soccer fans like crazy. Dude, I have a video from Russia when I was in Nizhny Novgorod. It was the day before. It was the day of the Argentina-Croatia game. And both sets of fans are in the street, like separated by basically a light pole. And they're singing their songs at each other, right? <laughs> and, and, and it was awesome and they're just singing and they're, you know and one does their song and then the other does their song and then and then after a little while everyone starts clapping and then they get together and they're starting to teach each other their songs like everyone's just having a great old time and th that i think is the power of the game and so i'm hoping people just like remember let football also do its work because mm -hmm. it does the work of binding people together and bringing them together um and like you said, if, if there's not as much aggressive alcohol fueled um, behavior, we might actually really have a nice, peaceful time. So, right. I mean, <laughs> just remember why you're there. You're not there to drink. You're not there to like, you know, I mean, maybe you find romance in Qatar World Cup 2022. I don't know. Like maybe. And then if you do find your partner while you're there, awesome. But what I'm yeah. trying to say is the, the, the important part is the is the beautiful game. The, the important part is the actual matches and like deciding who is the best in the world for the next four years. And so let's talk about that. Yeah. Who's going to be the next, who's going to be the best in the world for the four years? Oh God. I've been working on doing my world cup preview. I've been trying to get ready and like calendar off, like how I'm going to be doing all my coverage. And I'm like, it's kind of been overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is really overwhelming. Um, initially a few weeks ago, uh, probably a month ago or so, I was probably going to go with France once again, but dude, all the injuries, man, it's been, mm -hmm. they've been just like no Pogba, no Conte, no, no Conte. That's the, as soon as I found out he wasn't going, I was like, we're not, France isn't winning the world cup. Not without N'Golo Conte. It's not happening. <laughs> right and then when i start going through like some of the other teams like i think a lot of these teams are really flawed like when i looked at france if france was fully assembled i'd be like that is a pretty perfect great team right there but then you start going through the other squads and you start noticing different flaws and stuff like that um i don't know if i i, I am the biggest messy stand on the pod and i you don't want to come off as a messy lover as many people say i am in the comments but i love argentina yeah. i really do i think this could be one of the most uh, historic World Cups, not only from uh, um, a national side, but an individual cementing of a legacy when it comes to Lionel Messi. So currently, I think I'm with Argentina, I think what they've been able to do and finally like break that wall with Messi, get his first international trophy. And like, I don't know, man, I, I just really, really love their squad. Um, I think they're going to be uh, super fun. If I were to pick a second team, I would probably go with Brazil. Brazil has so much firepower. And I think it's also South America is due. They have not won a World Cup in quite some time. And I just yep. think 
it's again, like I talked cyclical with like meme culture and like stuff like that. I think a lot of things are cyclical. I think if I'm going to bank on someone, I'm going to say a South American country. It's between Argentina and Brazil. Well, I, I totally agree with those two picks as well. So we don't need to dwell that much. And and you said you're a messy stan. I'm look, man, I will also move to messy stan. I mean, that, <laughs> that's that's what Qatar is going to be renamed messy stan as uh... <laughs> I'm surprised there hasn't been already. <laughs> I know. Like when, yeah. when, uh, Barcelona we just came up with this, by the way, that, that, that just happened. This is we, us. Just, we just we're the ones that just invented that now. So when when, Catalo- when Catalonia finally gets its independence, it will be renamed to messy stan. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or th- this is this is perfect. If you guys can create a meme like this, it's just, you know, wh- this, this is, is what, free content. Yes. Yeah. When, 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 if Messi wins the World Cup this summer, Qatar will re- be renamed to Messi Stan. Or the, perfect. So, Done. Um. So I'm with you on those. Let's. I'd love to know. Is there a team out there that you're like that you think people are sleeping on a little bit that you're that you like that you're excited for? Um. Because obviously everyone talks about the big the big boys and. I mean, Argentina and Brazil are so good right now with such top-level players. It's hard to look anywhere else. Then everyone looks at, obviously, the next group of teams, France, Germany. But who's more of a sleeper pick that you're just – and not necessarily to win it, but just someone that you're really excited to watch? Is there a team – and I'll just throw mine out there right away because I know you're taking a quick look. Uruguay would be mine. They're they're the team I'm most excited to see. Uh, just the whole I, squad. Suarez yes. is going to be there. You know, Cavani is going to be there. Darwin um, Nunez. There's a couple squads, and I know you saw me scrolling because I wanted to yeah, do yeah, a quick yeah. refresher. Um, Netherlands, very excited to have them back in the World Cup. Uh, I think they have a very fun and exciting squad, so very excited to see them. Um, let's see. Um, Croatia running it back. <laughs> Luka Modric. I mean, this is going to be a lot of people's last World Cup. So it's almost from like a nostalgia point of cue, point of view. Like Tony Cruz, probably yeah. last World Cup. Luka Modric, Messi, Ronaldo. Um, it'll be fun to see this Germany squad. You know, even though Timo Werner's out, which is kind of like he's been like running amok with Red Bull, and uh, that's been really cool. But there's been a lot of bad injuries, man um right before yeah. the world cup which is kind of disappointing if there was a certain squad that i'm most excited to see um man taking a quick look right here i mean you can never like i know belgium is one of the big ones but that's another one where like i feel like this is their current golden generation of like kevin de bruyne hazard and everybody but like I really want to see if they can get over that hump that everyone's been saying that they've been needing to get over for quite some time going back, dating back to like when we almost beat them in the 2014 world cup, when Tim, when Tim Howard stood on his head, what a match that was, man. Yeah, That was a great game. Um, But if I were to pick a team where I think people should really, really take a look at, I would probably say, um, Serbia. Serbia is going to be a lot of fun. I love that one. Serbia is a great pick. Uh, You have a great Mitrovic. You have all the Viches on that team. And I think Serbia is going to surprise a lot of people uh, at this World Cup. That's a great, that's a great pick. That that was one of the other teams that I've always, that I've thought of and been like, I don't think very many people give this team the credit they deserve. Like, again, it's like if you were to ask a lot of people from the U.S., like, what do you think? Would you go against Serbia? I think a lot of people, absolutely. What do they got? Mitrovic, like whoop do you do? And then you're like, eh, we can go through the squad, and then you can realize that this is a this is a really good deep team. So 
Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm all with you on that one. Serb, Serbia, they're always exciting too. What, what an amazing country in terms of athletic production. They've got oh my god, yeah, two of the two of the best players in the NBA, one of the best players in tennis history, and yeah. they they pump out excellent footballers as well. It's I, I, they're really good at Olympic sports too, like different court sports, like volleyball and things like that. Like, what an amazing athletic country. Yeah, I didn't even think about that about the other talent that they have around the world. But yeah, they really churn it out. They, <laughs> they really pump out some talent. Dang, they do. I mean, what Luka Doncic and uh, um, the Joker from the Nuggets? They're they're both Serbian. Yeah, both uh, MVP candidates. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm so, yeah. Well, back uh, to one's back to back MVP, but like Luka, obviously, like uh, going to be uh, every year. Is he going to win it? Is he not? You know. Yeah. And then uh, you have the Joker. So. Yeah, uh, so great call on that one. Um, the well, then uh, so we, I, I think the funny thing about the World Cup is it's just going to come so fast, right? The leagues are going to end. There's going to be like four days five, a week, and then bang, it's going to start. So, and then it's four games a day. So for me, it's going to be waking up at four a.m. and uh, taking my first nap, maybe around like four p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so that it's going to be fantastic it's going to just be a bonanza um all right the last topic i wanted to get into and this is something that you and i have both uh less knowledge of and that's Mm -hmm. the mls now you are from philadelphia so before we get into what's going to happen next year let's talk about what's going to happen this weekend lafc play philadelphia union your philadelphia union Do do you think you guys can win it you can go to la and and take the cup Ah, well, Philadelphia is a great blue collar underdog city, and we are a underdog type of team. I mean, probably not in recent years because we have been very successful under Jimmy Curtin. I think the whole squad uh, from our youth level to the highest level like has been just absolutely phenomenal. And again, I am not the biggest MLS expert. I could probably tell you about a bunch of other podcasts. You could probably as well, who could probably give you much more information. Just being uh, a part of like uh the union fan base and being around people who are in the sons of ben like this is a really good sports city and the fact that they've really come around even though the stadium is all the way in chester which is like 20 minutes 25 minutes outside the city it still feels like philadelphia you know what i mean um if i were going to get my predictions for this weekend i feel as though philadelphia is going to win a championship this year if it's not the phillies if it's not the eagles definitely probably not going to be the sixers or the flyers I'm going to give it to the Philadelphia Union. I think Jimmy, he's worked so hard. He's been such a great, you know, has become a real symbol of excellence at this in our town. And, you know, I think they can really pull off the upset against L.A. Well, it's I mean, it's it's big for both teams, right? Because Philadelphia has been building this. This group and this squad and this team with Jim Curtin for for a few years now, and they've been definitely Mm. on an consistent upward trajectory and it and it culminates in getting to mls cup and then you've got lafc the franchise that should have won it years ago but sometimes it doesn't happen for you and then all of a sudden five years go by and you're like whoa what happened and 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 in a way it's like how much longer does carlos vela have Mm -hmm. um i don't know how how much longer he'll be at lafc i don't know if next season he will be he was the marquee signing and he was absolutely fantastic his first couple years in the league and it's like this feels like both teams have sort of reached a nadir right every both teams are at this perfect high point uh 
which is going to make it a great game, I think. And I'm glad it's in L.A. because the weather will be good. That means it'll. <laughs> it was 70 yesterday in Philly. I'm not even joking. I was out in a T-shirt yesterday. It's probably not as a, a uh, you know, a hot 70. It might be in L.A., but it was like a nice crisp, like 65 degrees in here. It's not really we haven't really got. I'm impressed. Yet. I'm yeah, impressed that the East Coast hasn't East Coast November. Normally by November, it's it's you're kind of like, oh, God, we actually got snow last night um, here in Denver, uh, but it'll be melted by by about 4 p.m. today <laughs> because it was a dusting. But um no, yeah, I, 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 I just sometimes uh, finals when they're in like bad weather or like cold mm. weather. Sometimes you're just they, they just get different. And I think, uh, but I do think it's weird that it's in the middle of the day. And actually, I read this thing, four p.m. Uh, right or four p.m. Yeah, East Coast. And apparently, it's like going to conflict directly with USC's football game. And apparently, there's going to be people going to have like no parking options. Oh my god, talk about a nightmare. This is the perfect game it, to watch. It just sounds like the sofa. most sounds like the most LA thing that it's could possibly the, happen. It's yeah, absolutely. It's like oh yeah, we scheduled MLS Cup the same day as a USC college football game. They're in the same place. No one's going to be able to park. Totally. Yep. LA. Lovely. LA straight Lovely, up and yeah. down. So the the interesting topic about the MLS is that they have just released this plan. Not re- no, they haven't released the plan. They they've they've been very much talking about how they're going to change the format of the playoffs from a thirteen match postseason to a 30 match postseason have you heard have you heard about this i've actually just heard about this from you so this is is going to be like live reaction cool Cool. this is great so um there was an article on the athletic i decided to look at for this and they said the specifics of what the tournament would look like aren't entirely known yet by the sources one of the people hypothesized that the format could look something like this. So I'm going to read you a few of the bullet points. Mm-hmm. Top eight teams from each conference would qualify for the postseason. Those teams would be split into four groups of four teams each, right? Groups would be segregated by conference. Western teams would only be grouped with fellow Western, Eastern with fellow Eastern. Uh, as is the case with the World Cup, each team would play three group stage matches, one each against the other three teams in the group. The top two uh, would move on. Um, to so it says the top two seeds in each group would host two group stage games. The bottom two seeds would host one. The top two teams would advance to an eight-team single elimination knockout. Um, and so basically, the higher seeds would host knockout matches. Western Conference champion advancing to MLS Cup against Eastern Conference champion. So the idea that they have is to, yeah, create a World Cup style tournament as the postseason um and <sighs> where you would have four groups and a group mm-hmm. stage and they go on to um quarterfinal semifinal final knockout round uh it's a major um, overhaul of what they're currently doing um and I, I don't really know what to think about it because i think mls needs to change something mm-hmm. to get better but I don't know if this is it. It sounds like they're doing a lot, if that makes sense. It sounds like they're trying really hard to do something that I feel as though... Because here's my thing. I am not anti-playoffs when it comes to MLS soccer. Like, for me, like, I am... Even though I love Premier League, I love that if you're the best in a regular season, you win. That's great. You had 38 games to get it right, and you did it. That's awesome. What I don't like about this is that a team that could have like, I don't know, uh, a, 
barely sneaks into the playoffs, was an average mid-table team that would in no way never make the playoffs, in, in a random playoff scenario, just be able to knock out people one by one by one, but have, you know, they won't have the home field advantage or anything like that. Like, I just feel like that's unfair to a team that did their work during the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, some people might say that about my Philadelphia Phillies who somehow squeaked into the, you know, World Series, one of the worst teams ever to make the World Series based on record alone. I'm not saying right. my team is bad, but like yeah. record alone might beat this over 100 win Astros teams where we had like 87, 89, you know? So like for me, like if you're a middling team, we'll say like DC United, I don't want to trash on them, but let me trash on them. DC okay, United, they have like an okay season. They somehow sneak into the playoffs. And then they go on this awesome run where I feel like the home field advantage isn't as much as a great advantage as it would be for some other teams. Is that because of their fan bases, whatever could then go on to win the, the, the MLS cup? Like, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair that like you worked hard all season only to get like one type of buy. And now everyone can just make it. And then the playoffs, anything can go on any given day. Like, I don't know, man, like, that's why like I get mad at like the NFL and some of these other expansions because it's all about money. Like some people are saying they're trying to change it up to make MLS better. Sounds like, you know, more TV deals, more prime time. It's all greed and stuff like that to me where, you know, I think they're good right now. I think the system is working great, but what, what do I know? I don't, what, what is the reason? Like, I would like to hear the argument of like why they're trying to do this. Is it, was yeah. there like an explanation? Okay. Well, so, I think a major part of this is the fact that the deal that they signed with Apple for the next 10 years is going to be very different from what the MLS has ever been broadcasting wise. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that doesn't know Apple, they announced a 10 year, $2.5 billion deal in June with the MLS. So Apple TV will host every single MLS game. Now, what I found out that's interesting is that a lot of games won't be behind a paywall. You could just go to Apple TV then watch it even if you don't oh, have a subscription so nice. they will have some games obviously there, there will be some games like that apparently from what i've heard so their apple tv signing a 2.5 billion dollar deal over 10 years now keep in mind the premier league deal was like 2.2 or 3 billion for three years right i mean this is a huge difference in terms of money so 250 million a year and apple's going to pretty much get all of the streaming rights right now for anyone who has been watching their MLS team, like the local, the local feed of your MLS team, for instance, here in Colorado, we had Marcelo Balboa as the analyst. There's another guy as the commentator. They're done. Like all of those local duos that commentated games, they're done now. And part of the reason why is they wanted to make it so that if you want to watch, like, let's say you want to watch DC United versus Inter Miami, DC's at home, you're going to get DC United commentary. Because that's unless it's like a Fox, unless it's broadcast on like Fox Sports and it's, you know, Stuart Holden or John Champion or Taylor Twellman. But mm. if you're getting the, the local guys, they are locally, you know, a, a little more biased in a way. Now, I kind of think that's fun to hear as well. But Apple wants to sort of basically make it more consistent across the board that you can just tune in and watch a game and it's it's a good game. So that's that's part of it. They want to try and make it so that it's not people will watch any game as opposed to only their team. Um, oh, so they're trying to like homogenize it. Is that what you're trying to say? I think, 
homogenized just feels like kind of in a way yes and it that also feels in a way like a dirty word to say it um uh, because i actually what i think is big about mls that needs to that does need to change is for instance i i can watch a french league game or even a german league or even like a dutch league game that i have no personal investment in and and enjoy it i struggle a lot to just like watch fc dallas against cincinnati i really struggle to do that and i've heard a lot of people say that's the biggest problem with mls is that it's hard to care about any it's hard to care about the games so the playoff structure i think is going to be meant to essentially create a bigger postseason because that's what more people want to see is playoffs right in every sport people mm-hmm. tune in more for playoffs than the regular season so then just do playoffs don't have a regular season whatever <laughs> it's all make-believe then Fine. exactly so i i think it's really interesting i don't know i i i kind of think like such a massive change what's funny about it to me is that there's some people freaking out about this like really freaking out and then there's some people embracing oh, really? it with open arms yeah because because some people are like this is going to ruin MLS, and it's like, well, I mean, we've had different playoff structures before. I right now, like for instance, last year the Rapids ended up last day of the season being top of the Western Conference. It was it was surprising. They managed to do it. They get a week and a half off their first home game of the playoffs. Portland, they lose one nil. Season's over. And that's it. Done. At least here every team would have a, a minimum of three postseason games in the playoffs because there's that group stage. I don't know. That sounds interesting to me. More than anything, I like the creativity of something totally different than I've ever seen before as a playoff structure. Mm. Will it be good for the league? I don't know. I still think that at this point, it can't happen because MLS is its own thing. It's its own massive organization. My personal opinion, it need we need a three-tiered system. USL championship and usl league one and the mls needs to be a three-tiered system promotion relegation and uh, it'll you know, never happen I, I, it'll I, never happen it'll take it's time sad. it'll take time it may no, never happen or maybe I, maybe what will happen is that the usl championship and usl league one will have promotion and relegation and they will get more interesting to watch and at that point mls might need to at least look at what they're doing Mm. and i you know i i want it to happen i would love for it to be like you know with the premier league where there's championship league one premier league whatever yeah that would be nice but like the argument i've always made and what other people have always made is that you're going to tell these billionaire owners to say hey your team say you have a bad year there's lots of injuries your coach sucks whatever you lost your best player they went over to the premier league your team could go down to uh usl and you're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars um in tv rights marketing everything and he's, they're gonna be like go fuck yourself no yeah, they we're would not never trying. want to do that yeah exactly like where in the other leagues across the world like that has been built in and like you know there are certain clubs that are just like super safe now and that that could never happen because of the investment of money you know like the top six in the premier league or uh psg or others i mean some come close like everton or something like that uh villa has gone down a recent time um but no i'm just trying to say that like I'm, i'm not mad that they're trying something new this could be very fun so far their marketing and the growth of american soccer has been fantastic it's been phenomenal it's been a fucking rocket ship um i do get worried when it comes to anything in terms of expansion um like when the world cup is expanding the amount of teams and stuff like that 
the root of it isn't in making the game better, but greed. So that's, you know, I have a couple, I have yeah. a couple, you know, issues with that. In your area, what's, what's the closest USL team, uh, either league USL championship or USL league one to you? Do you oh, that'd be the Beth. Area? I think it's the Bethlehem steel. Okay. I think so that... they are the closest and Bethlehem is from Philadelphia. It's that's out near Allentown, Pennsylvania, a town, a town trash. Um, <laughs> shout out a town trash. Um, that is about like two hours from here. Yeah. Okay. So we have, uh, I think there's so... another one actually in Delaware County. I'm sorry. I just can't okay. remember the name of that. I was going to say there should that, be two that... in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, and that one's actually very close to the Philadelphia union. I think that's only like 30, 40 minutes away. So I think I do, I do believe we have two. Yes. So in Colorado, we have the Colorado Springs switchbacks. And then we have the Northern Colorado hailstorm. They were created this year. And it's just some like wealthy family, this wealthy guy who was like, that's it. I want to create a sports team. Um, they're building a massive complex up uh, about 40 minutes north of Denver. And uh, they're also that complex is going to have multiple like fields, like a like a regular soccer complex for for youth games and stuff like that. They're going to have a stadium for the soccer team. And they're also going to have, they also have a minor league team, minor league baseball team that's going to be based up there. So this whole that's entire cool. thing is being created right there. The Colorado swing switchbacks have been around for a little while. Their stadium is where we host the boys um, state championships every year uh, for soccer. So I currently work with a high school that we won state last year and we played our final in that stadium. And it was awesome. This little ground, you know, just one solid tier on one side. And then, I mean, it probably seats about like 10,000 people, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. like, um, and the vibe in that is amazing. Like the fans who go to the hailstorm games and switchback games, it's, it, it feels like a club. MLS feels like franchises. And I wonder if over time, the clubs with their locality are going to start to, just do well in terms of fan engagement, filling their stadiums, and even possibly if TV deals for the USL get better and coverage gets better, who knows? They might gain in popularity to the point where MLS goes, uh-oh, we're losing ground here. We're just an expensive right. ship that's just losing, it's just hemorrhaging money because we don't have the basis of community that the other ones do. So I, I'm kind of, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that rolls out over time. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like with some MLS, it feels like manufactured culture, not built like the USL has been doing. And exactly. you, also, you also, the last five years have made the USWL, um, which has been actually doing very, very well in terms of like a competitive semi-pro women's league. Um, and I, I really think the USL is onto something. They're making that new stadium in Milwaukee, which is going to be mm. huge. I think that's supposed to have like 30,000. That's like, right. State which is like that that's crazy that's massive for like a semi-professional like league like that you know what i mean like i, I guess us always say professional right like they are they are they're, they're professional for sure yeah I yeah mean, sorry sorry i watched I, the I final last year the tampa bay rowdies like looking around their ground it was amazing it was a way better atmosphere than you see in half the mls stadiums and yeah the manufactured thing the manufactured culture is a really you kind of get this weird feeling about that with a lot of mls clubs and um I, I, yeah, it's. I think the USL has that. Also, think about this: DDA Drogba has a big stake in Phoenix, the Phoenix Rising, um, down in. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Nice. 
Jamie Vardy has, I think he's part owner of a Rochester, one of the t- a team in Rochester, one of the teams in New York. I've always said if Vard at the, when Vardy's contract ends, he's going to go play for his the club he owns in this in the states. <laughs> and the thing is that Eden Hazard, I think, also has a stake in a USL team because it's a lot cheaper to mm-hmm. get in on a USL team. And if you're a you know say Jared Piquet and you decide oh, I've retired now, I'm going to go pick up a USL team and buy them and run it. You have way more freedom. It costs way less for you to get in the yes. door, and you can create kind of your own thing. So, yeah, we we, we went off on uh, went off to the right. This was originally about the MLS uh, playoff restructure, but yeah, no, I mean, no, this no, is... I think that was that was good conversation. I've been wanting to do more USL coverage. I have a lot of we have a big lads Discord and like a couple people in there. I've been watching and really becoming bigger fans of USL and like then MLS. And I've started noticing that too. Like, again, it's good having like people on the ground level to not only like be friends with, but also humble you and understand like, what are really people thinking? Like our discord is filled with people who are Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, like Liverpool, we have Newcastle, like fans from all over. And that's very nice. And like getting different opinions of different, you know, some Chelsea fans in fight within each other with other stuff. So there's a little the thing about the discord i wanted to plug real quick it's it's a great community um a lot of great wonderful people who have helped build like i you know our success as like a shit posting meme account i can't take all credit they help significantly with with our growth as a podcast and stuff like that but what i'm trying to say is i've noticed recently because i've never i'm like oh usl what's that and like um within the past year or so i've been like whoa like this is this is a this is a real thing and you can kind of feel it yeah it's it is it is really it's interesting because MLS has done a great job to get themselves to where they're at. And what they've been trying to grab onto is how do we create fan engagement and culture? And what we've seen is that the newer franchises that come in, they have to have such a big fan base and they have to be able to show that they're ready to come into the MLS, that they're like, they're a a USL club that has all that already has built all that already. And it's why we see some of the, some of the inaugural teams still don't really have that good of a fan base. I mean, the Rapids, it's an okay fan base. DC United, you know, I've heard a lot of things. It's kind of like, eh. But then you get Atlanta, right? LAFC, and it's Austin. I mean, Austin this season. Watching their games, I I actually enjoyed watching Austin home games because the vibe was incredible. You know, they score a goal, the whole place goes green. Everyone's losing it. Like, uh, there was a vibe there. Yeah, I mean, and you've seen it for years from, say, Portland or Seattle. I mean, those are your blue blood, great cultures have uh, and will probably continue on being some of the best fandoms in the MLS. But like to see something like Dallas having like a brand ambassador like Matthew McConaughey to come in there, who's like the coolest guy, like you got the (laughs) coolest guy in the world, probably to endorse your club. Like that's how can you beat that? Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. All right. Well, we've. um... We've gone on for 90 minutes here. That was that was that was awesome. That was totally different. It went by too. like and that. Yeah, it was it felt pretty quick. Yeah. Well, and also it's cool because I, I, over the last few days I've been like, man, it is just getting more and more difficult to just keep up with the daily things that are happening in the European leagues and the Champions League and the Europa League and everything. It's like I'm ready for the World Cup to come around and take our minds off of mm-hmm. just league football for a little bit because it has been so relentless since the summer. A lot it's of games been nonstop. A lot of games. And it's going to get, well, I mean, it's, it's not going to get any easier during the World Cup, but it should be a nice change of topics, let's say. 
not not pace the pace ain't changing <laughs> oh yeah i can already you know type up klopp's uh bitching after the world cup with fixture congestion and stuff and i love jurgen klopp i think he's a phenomenal man he's he's hilarious he's great but like he's complaining about fixture congestion it's like yes we we all have it we all have fixture yeah. congestion well, it all we know it sucks the the post world cup the way this, the way all the leagues are going to be post World Cup is going to be fascinating. The January transfer window is going to be really interesting because there's always breakout stars at the World Cup that literally a week after the tournament get their big move. Oh, Normally, yeah. the January transfer window is not as greased up, but I think it's going to be wild. I think. Wow. The, I think I it's going to even... get insane because there are players oh. who there's so many players who made their decisions this summer based on the world cup players who decided not to make transfers because they knew they were getting time and they didn't want to risk going to a club, not getting minutes and then not making the team. Then there's mm -hmm. people who have been like, you know, and some of those players, because they're in a club they've been at for a while, they're able to kind of be like, I don't want to play this week. I'm feeling a little tired. Right. They, they have the, the liberty to plan for the world cup. But then once it ends, everyone's saying is Messi even going to be at PSG at the end of January, I'm like, absolutely. Definitely. He's going to play the champions league campaign with them for sure. Well, yeah. He also wants to hopefully break the assist, the goal record. Yeah. I don't, I don't, but like Ronaldo, this season, but yeah, what's going to happen to Ronaldo in, in, um, in January, what, what oh, he's when, gone. you know what I mean? Like, what about is, is the Kylian Mbappe story going to get resolved in January? Who knows? Right. Like I, I have no idea what, what are Barcelona going to do? How many different, you know, levers and different things they're going to be pulling out, like <laughs> the Scrooge McDuck style cash dumping out the seat. Like mm. I, I, it's going to be so fascinating because the the summer, the World Cup tends to be such a defining break from other seasons. just a, a reset for football in so many ways. To have it mid season, it's going to cause all kinds of unforeseen chaos. Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited for what the downstream effects of this world cup are and not just oh, for the club game but everything you want to hear uh the, before we go i just want to get your thoughts on this my one buddy uh he's a villa fan uh i i love him to death his name is paul he wanted to have the game still continue during the world cup so you'd have to pull from like your <laughs> youth from your youth team or guys who wouldn't make it but think about it like erling holland didn't make the world cup he could still be running fly at man city i mean not all the people who are playing in the nation will make the you know the cut of the team like what are your th i don't think that no that you can't do that but like that'd be very interesting to see they would never do it because of all the obvious reasons but let's remember that every time the world cup has come around in the last 10 years that i can think of the mls has kept playing yeah which i think is i've always found that to be ridiculous i'm like why are what stop just stop no one's watching this right now stop oh or yeah like i guess like the african cup of nations another good example yeah yeah, it's, I, I just I think um, I know I, I think it's going to be it, it would be it would be really fun to to go through. I, I mean, I, I hope that there's people when the World Cup starts, everyone kind of looks at who's there and what squads would be like, because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's some teams that would be doing really well and some teams that would absolutely have to play just a bunch of kids. They would have no one else. It'd be fun. <laughs> you watch but, it like you under 21s play out there. It'd be great. Yeah. Basically Chelsea would be Jorginho stand, standing out there looking like Billy Madison with a bunch of kids around him. <laughs> he's Italian and he ain't going. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess Serie A would be fine, I guess, you know, but yeah, yeah, that, that would, that would be, they'd be 
it'd be interesting there. Yeah. Any, any country that didn't qualify should keep their league going or, or it, I, <laughs> it, I, it's, it's kind of, yeah, that's a funny, uh, that's their punishment for not making it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, this is, is very funny. Oh, it's hilarious. It, it, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to kind of look into like who would the players be, what would happen to the league? Like what would continuing to play during the world cup do to certain teams and leagues? I think I, that actually is a funny thing to look into. Mm-hmm. It's a weird it, that's hypothetical, worth it. yeah. Hmm. But it does happen in the MLS, and I mean, I mean, I think what happens is that no one watches it because. <laughs> no, I mean that's already can be rather challenging. So yeah, I guess this will be this will be the first time that the MLS is not happening during the World Cup. I wow, think. guess they should have it during this. No, I'm just kidding. Don't make it this summer. <laughs> don't don't make it during Thanksgiving. I don't want to be having Thanksgiving watching the world cup sorry i don't not every year this i'm no. I'm cool with the novelty once we'll see how it goes yeah let's see how it goes all right man well this was a great time um i'm i, I it's been a while since you and i were on the same call we did one with soccer subs like a year ago so mm-hmm. once again plug plug lads plug your guys' show and what you do and, and and also the different things the different pieces the discord the website like go through what oh. lads as an institution is <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, lads, as an institution, this is our, you know, here's our article of, uh, okay, uh, so you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, Loud Americans Discussing Soccer, you can just put in lads, it'll pop up, uh, Instagram, at lads podcast, Twitter, at lads podcast, um, and the Discord, there's a link in our bios or whatever you can join it's a great community everyone's very nice uh we also sell shirts uh we have a website where we occasionally post blogs we do twice a week uh what's it called like podcasts and whatnot and you know it's a good time it's just me and my buddy we drink and we talk mostly premier league but we talk a bunch of other world soccer stuff so yeah man it's good to hang out again we got to do that one uh pod with the super uh sub guys and they rock and you rock and this was a lot of fun i haven't done like a long form pod like this in a while so this is kind of cool just to riff for a bit well good good I'm, I'm i'm glad i'm glad we were able to you know get you just in a mode where you can you know put out opinions for for 90 solid minutes and look i <laughs> Well, uh, some, somehow, some way, I, I still haven't really fully planned everything I'm going to do for the World Cup because every time I get an idea, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And then I'm like, oh, God, there's so much. How am I going to put this together? It's just going to be it's too much. It's a lot so, of content, yeah. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to rely on each other every now and again to just be, hey, can, can you just jump in real quick and help give, right. me, give me 10 minutes of airtime just because I <laughs> – so so I will be around. I'm I'm My seasons as a coach is ending. I work from home. I my goal is to watch every single game that's my goal i don't know if i'm gonna pull it off i'm gonna try so i will let you know i will not be able to that is i'm, I'm trying good on you i'm gonna do my best i will watch probably like 80 percent to 90 percent of the games i will try but like uh, with work and like trying to balance like doing the pod and the content and the memeing you know memeing takes time you gotta, you gotta, you gotta screenshot. You gotta crop. You gotta make sure there's like a caption with emojis with a saluting sign. It's hard. It's a lot yeah. of work. <laughs> I think it's important for people to recognize that too. All the little things do take time and effort. And so, yeah, it's it's gonna be a bonanza of all that stuff. So, well, good. Cool. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, look, let's just let's just keep in touch. The the, the football, yeah football. Uh, what is it? What was I gonna say? The football flogging is coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah it is but yeah thank you again so much for having me man and look forward to having you on lads thank you for sure anytime i'm always in all right let's call it everyone enjoy your weekend and enjoy your day